Welcome to Create Beauty Every Day, a podcast where we talk to people about how they create beauty every day. I'm Deanne Fitzpatrick, and this podcast is brought to you by HookingRugs.com, where you can get everything you need to create beautiful rugs. That's how I create beauty every day. So now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Deanne Fitzpatrick, and I'm here today, and it's really my pleasure to be with Zita Cobb. And Zita is someone who I've crossed paths with before, but today is the first time I actually got to meet Zita. Well, very nice to meet you in two dimensions. I feel like I've been lurking around in your life, in your studio when you're not there. I know. You've been to visit me twice, and you have some of my rugs. Oh, I have, I have more than one of your rugs. I know you have some of them. I said, yeah, I know you do. And I really appreciate it. And I feel your, I feel you, your presence in so many ways, because of course at the inn, there are um, rugs that have been made and created, uh, designed and made by local people. And I think, you know, Lillian Dwyer, who's I do. Really a, a super master hooker. And I know Lillian has great admiration for your work. So I feel your touch in so many ways, which is. Thank you. Yeah. I, I've been watching your um, interesting career, right? Because I, I, after, after you were at my studio a couple of times, we corresponded a few times and I, and I made you a rug. And at that time you were sailing, right? That's right, I was. I was living on my boat called the sailing vessel Bake Apple, named for that Newfoundland berry we all love. And uh, yeah, that's right. And I, I didn't have a home on land, but I was obviously thinking about a home on land at that point because that's why I needed the, the makeup. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Um, and and uh, was it, I just, I know, so Zita, um, you are the founder of Surefast. With my brothers, my, with my two brothers, Tony and right? Alan. And the Fogo Island Inn. So tell me about that. Tell everybody about Surefast, what it is. Okay, so uh, we are uh, eighth generation Fogo Islanders, my brothers and I, and uh, in the early 2000s, around 2005, I was, had finished my career and had finished sailing or was finishing sailing at that point and, and really starting to make my way back home. And so we wanted to do something that added another leg to the economy of Fogo Island, but did it in a way that would strengthen culture. Mm-hmm. Like we could have made, I don't know, a call center or something, which yeah. would have helped the economy, but it wouldn't have done much for you know our way of knowing and our cultural heritage. And the lovely thing about an inn is yeah. that you can put all the things you know and care about, or at least almost all the things you know and care about, because how you practice hospitality as a, as a people or as a person says everything about you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's everything from the food we grow to the way we make your bed, to the way we welcome you, to the furniture you sit on. So we sort of see the inn or saw the inn and saw hospitality as a way to, as as kind of a vessel into which we could put the things we loved. And so Surefast is, we set that up as a a registered charity of Canada. Yeah. And it then created the Fogo Island Inn and created the Fogo Island Arts, which is a, a, contemporary arts residency program that also publishes and, and, and does shows. Uh, we also started a business called a wood shop on Fogo Island, which uh, makes furniture. Yes. And so, so you have need to think about Surefast as kind of the owner of these businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
operated by something that's called short-fast social enterprises, because you have to keep a, a separation of church and state as it relates to a charity and the running of a business. And uh, we operate them as social businesses and any surpluses go back to the charity and are reinvested in the community. So that's roughly the, the organization of it all. But the idea was to complement the Fogo Island Cooperative, which is the fishery on Fogo Island, which is owned by the fishers and by the plant workers. Right. So, and though, so the two big players in the economy of the island now are still the fishery, which is, in my opinion, the most important industry, because yes. that, that's the tradition. And, and then the visitor economy things related to our work. And so it really kind of makes Fogo Island a hotbed of community ownership. Mm -hmm. when, when you created the inn, what, um, what made you say, I'm going to make this a world-class place? Because it, it is, right? It's... It is. And um, I, mean, I think because I was getting a, I was getting a little irritated uh, by the fact that I look at Newfoundland and Labrador, and I know that's your home province as well. Dan, it is. And, it's my home. I don't see anything about that place that is mediocre. I mean, I think we have been given by nature the most incredible gifts. And I look at every corner and I see beauty, I see opportunity, and yet I look at our economy and it's been foundering for, well, for the, I mean, since the first people came from Europe, it's been foundering. Uh, we've never figured out really how to make it work. Mm -hmm. And I go around the world uh, and I've traveled a lot in my lifetime and I see remote parts of Spain, let's say the North coast of Spain, which I spend a lot of time on and they have booming economies. They have beautiful, beautiful place specific inns that showcase culture and art of, of a region. And I look around in our province and I think, I don't see that. Where, where, where are our great inns that need to join the great inns of the world? Because mm -hmm. we, we are one of the great destinations of the world. So I think I, we, I just got mad enough about that. I thought, well, let's make one. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to make one, well, let's not make a mediocre one. Let's make one that, that is at least as good as the people who came before us. That is, is at least as good as the place itself. Gosh. <laughs> That's a tough, it's a, it's a, it's a tall order. Make it as good as the place itself because the right. place itself, everywhere you turn your head is it's beautiful. So, it is, it is intimidatingly beautiful. Like it's, it, 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 it it's a torture of beauty. Mm -hmm. It is. I agree with you completely. And I, like, I just, I go to bed at night and I dream about it still, you know? Yeah. yeah the cliffs and, and the rocks. Build something that does service to that. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the thing. And so our approach was let's make it of itself, like something that has integrity is made of itself anyway. Yeah. So you know, build it from the fabric of the place, build it from all of the drop threads from the centuries. Because you know one of the things, well, many bad things happened with the moratorium, but, and Rex Murphy actually said it, he said, watch out for the cultural explosion that will follow the mm -hmm. moratorium yes. because really then what you have is a whole generation of newfoundlanders and labradorians who don't have any memory or experience with the inshore fishery mm -hmm. at all mm -hmm. and so our culture is derived of that intimate but close because we weren't going offshore generally speaking we were fishing in little boats close to land all of our knowledge is about 
that liminal space between where the ocean and the land meet. I mean, if you come to Fogo Island, I can show you, we fished for 350 years between Fogo Island and to the north of us, Little Fogo Islands. It's about five nautical miles of sea that we knew intimately. And, and lots of people lost their lives in that rugged patch of ocean. Yeah. Where culture came from. So when we stopped doing that, and you know, our fisheries have adapted to other species that are different kinds of technology and people go further. We no longer work as family units, you know, processing fish in little stages together. It was an enormous cultural fracture. And yeah. so what we were very preoccupied with is all of the knowledge that came from that 350 year history. How do we hold on to that knowledge mm -hmm. and build it into something else? So it was really important to figure out how to make it contemporary because, I mean, really, does anyone want to live in an 18th century fishing village? No, probably not. No. And even though we are outport people, we're, we're contemporary people. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think art and, and design and architecture have an enormous role to play in helping create things that have meaning and beauty. And so the, the choice of architect, the choice of architecture direction, that was critical and, and very early in our thinking. Yeah. What, it, it's, all, it's all clear. And every time I, like I, I see you in the, in the most surprising places sometimes, you know, I see stories about the inn and, and, and they're always, it's always with such great respect and such uh, awe. I think, I think that's how people feel about that in. So is because it's like a bit of madness in a way, like it, lunacy. That's where I was going. So, <laughs> yeah. So the very first time that you talked seriously about someone doing, about doing this, can you remember that? And can you tell me about that? I talked to someone outside of my two brothers, you mean? That the two, well, I, mean, I, have, I, I would I wouldn't mind hearing the conversation between you and your brothers at first. Like, okay, what were uh, they like? I would say that that one was, um, and there were many of them. And I mean, it really starts with a question, and everything good starts with a question. It does. Uh, I'm going to write that down. That's good. And the question we started with is, you know, what what could we do? Yeah, on Fogo Island that could be helpful. Um, and of course, as soon as you have the focus to say, what could we do? Well, then you're in it, right? Because yeah. by doing nothing, you've made a choice. You definitely have. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that somehow that didn't seem like the right choice. Mm -hmm. And so we, uh, struggled for some time with what, and but luckily fairly early on, in the process of thinking about it, we uh, were introduced to something called ABCD, Asset-Based Community Development. And actually that, that framed our thinking, frames up my thinking, our thinking to this day. Mm -hmm. And that is this, you know, we, across Atlantic Canada, we have a lot of small places that are struggling and we have question marks around their future. Yeah. And most people who look at those places, look at them and go, well, you know, I feel terrible about it, but there's nothing there. And what can we, how on earth can they hold on? You know, and that the people who are trying to hold on, you know, have some misguided sense of nostalgia for something. Yeah. 
as opposed to looking at a place and instead of seeing what it's lacking, seeing what it has. Mm -hmm. And so what's called asset-based community development is really a, a way of taking inventory of what you have and you, right. you can answer a series of questions. What do we have? What do we know? Surely we must know something. Mm -hmm. What do we love? What do we miss? And what can we do about it? Mm -hmm. And so as soon as you go through those questions as relates Fogo Island, or I would argue almost any place in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, you're going to find out that we know a lot and have a lot as it relates to the visitor economy. And the question just then becomes, how do you develop it properly? As I, I have said about many places in the world where the visitor economy has been developed in a terrible way, uh, and pardon my, uh, my language, but any arsehole can put up a hotel somewhere on a beautiful beach and suck money out and bring it too far away because heavens knows that's been done on islands around the world. Right. We've, we've, we've been there. Little yeah. positive impact on the lives of the people who are there. So we knew what not to do or we knew how not to do it. Mm -hmm. And so then came, how, how do you actually do it? Step by step, building an inn that's made of the fabric of the place, made of our memories, made of our skills, made of the things we love. So once, once, and then once you start, it's a little bit like, you know, you've unraveled a sweater and now you've got to move into something else. That's yeah. just going. I mean, we were immensely helped by the thinking and skill of Todd Saunders, who was the architect and he grew up in Newfoundland and uh, is, it was, and still is based in Norway, but I mean, he's a Newfoundlander adrift. Yeah. Uh, but, but he's come around in a place that actually looks a bit like Newfoundland Labrador. Yeah. And, so I mean, his thinking, he's, he is exceptionally contemporary. And so the design brief we gave him uh, was actually quite simple, was you have to figure out how to express in contemporary architecture what we have learned in 350, 400 years, depending on where you count from, of hanging on to this rock. Mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I think he was brilliant in how he created something that is relentlessly contemporary and if you look at the inn or the studios from a distance, it's not even clear what they're made of. Like you don't appreciate that these are handmade buildings, board by board by board, until you get close. Yeah. No, you don't. I mean, it looks like some kind of a modernist cannon or something mm -hmm. from a distance. Mm -hmm. made of anything. And the closer you get, the more human you start to see the scale is. Mm -hmm. And when you open the door and walk inside, well, then you've you've really arrived in a in a contemporary place that really, if you grew up in, in the outports, you arrived in your grandmother's home. Is that right? Yes, it is. Uh, and it's partly it's because of things like rugs and quilts and, yeah. and you know, wood burning fires and, yes. and, and the way people are welcomed. So once you went outside the conversation with your brothers, uh, where yes. did you go next? <laughs> then we, uh, well, we went home and yeah. started series of conversations around uh, the project and it I mean it you know at first I thought how hard can this be it's just a little in uh, and I, you know and I had done some things in business before it wasn't like my first outing and a with a business challenge but this was an entirely different thing and of course like we had never planned when we set out to make furniture yeah I don't I, I don't think we had thought about where furniture would come from, but I guess we thought, well, there's lots of furniture in the world, we'll find furniture. But then as we went through all these many conversations and we started to realize, wait a minute, we started this project in order to hold on to knowledge so that the, the Newfoundland 
culture that is expressed on Fogo Island lives on in contemporary forms. And that way we, we don't lose access to our past. So how on earth in such a setting, and that we, I mean, Fogo Islanders themselves asked this, well, what, what sense does it make to put furniture from Italy? Mm -hmm. What sense does it make? I mean, we can make it ourselves. Right. But then it got more complicated because you're not going to take a chair like one we would have made in 1900 and put it in a contemporary inn. Mm -hmm. So then we ended up starting this designer in residence program where designers came from away uh, and worked with local artisans and boat builders. And that's how all the furniture was envisioned. But all that took years. So yeah. it just, the, the, I, you know, in the, in the business world, we say like the worst thing that can happen on a project is scope creep. Like we were, we're like a textbook case of scope creep because it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger than I may have imagined in the beginning. Scope creep. Yeah, I know. It's not what you want. It's like, it's what everybody says. Don't lose your focus, right? Well, we never lost the focus, but well, but the scope changed because we right. realized to achieve the vision. Well, of course, we're not going to put furniture. No, of course, you're not. So now, now we have a wood shop. We make furniture. It's a yeah. business. Yeah. I was on your website last week. Tell everybody what your website is if they wanted to see that furniture. Okay. I think you, if you just Google woodshop on fogoisland.ca, yeah, uh, you get there. And actually, we're just in the process. It hasn't been released yet, but we are in a design process now for our second line of furniture that uh, we're hoping to launch in the spring, this coming spring. So you're not... You, you still haven't told me. Nobody looked at you like you had three heads? Oh my gosh, I forgot the question, Deanne. Yes, many did. And uh, I'm thinking they did. <laughs> yes, well, you know, uh, we, we, we also approached uh, the government of Newfoundland and Labrador and the government of Canada to say, you've got to help us out with this because, yeah. you know, the government of Newfoundland operates the ferry. I don't want to be trying to run an in off the coast of Newfoundland. The ferry's not working. Right. Like we get everybody on side. And, and also economic development is the work of government and they care about it. So they did eventually both to their great credit came along with us on it. Uh, I mean, we were the major investor and, but still it meant a lot to have them in. But the first uh, letter we got back from, I won't say which government said something like the project wasn't, it wasn't rational. It wasn't feasible. It wasn't sensible. Was, I don't know. It was a whole bunch of things. It wasn't. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well then rational, feasible or sensible. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I came out of the technology industry. So if, if, when someone says all that to you, you know, you're onto something new and something good. Yeah. And so, but eventually they did, they did come around. And I think for the people who live on the Island, it, it's almost like everything, you know, that, that comes along that's new and everything is, is Gaussian, you know, that normal distribution, that kind of bell curve, 10% of the people right away said this is amazing. I want to be part of this. This is yeah. so exciting. 10% thought this is the worst thing I ever heard. Uh, and they probably still think that. And the other 80% in the beginning, uh, you know, they thought some version of, well, what's it got to do with me? Is this really going to happen? Um, what's it got to do with the price of fish? On and on and on. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, as time, and, and the, the mayor of Joe Bat's arm at the time was a guy named Freeman Compton, who's since passed away. And Freeman said uh, to us and to me at the time, he said, you know, work with that 10% that understand what you're trying to do and, and see the merit and be, don't go too fast. And, you know, I came out of the tech business. So, so we fast were fast was important. I was going yeah. down it was to, to, to the right pace. Mm -hmm. uh, 
took some effort, but, and I think with time as we built, we didn't start with the inn. We started with studios and getting the artist in residence program going. So I think it, that people could find for themselves what it was and feel like if I tell you, I mean, we're going to put a, a contemporary art studio out, you know, on the wherever outside of Tilting or, or there's one, you know, in Bay, you can't imagine a, what that means. What is that? And what goes on in there? And what does that have to do with price fish anyway? And, but I think as you start to build and people start to realize uh, what it is and, and, and the fact that Fogel Islanders built it made a difference. And so, you know, over time, people have come to, I think, not just understand it, but I think to, to embrace it in a way that it is theirs. I mean, I'm 62 years old. We built this with a minimum time horizon of 100 years. And yeah. that's, I mean, that in it, it holds on to the past, but it really leans into the future. So, future. you know, I want, to, I want the right to die knowing that uh, other Fogo Islanders are carrying that on, you know, yeah. even ones that are not yet born. You've left a job for them. They, they absolutely, and they can't blink. You can never blink because that you, you know, we are all in a line of people, and mm -hmm. it is always our job to, to hold on to what we've been given, that knowledge we've been given, build on it, hand it on to the next crowd. Yeah. And Let that go at it. Lose the knowledge, then, then, then we, every, with every generation, we should get a little bit wiser. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we should. Mm -hmm. and, and I love it. I, I love it that you've taken that, all those crafts. And like when I talk to Lillian Dwyer, she says, well, I'm working with this artist or I'm working with that artist, you know? And, and I know that that's just changing Lillian's perspective. And it is important that our craft and our art and our perspectives change and grow. And so that people want to engage with them in new ways and in different ways. Like it's really important. It is important. And I think this is the key, Deanne, that I, I think that is always, I mean, I think everything is kind of a rhythm of opposites. And I think when sometimes people are threatened by the contemporary or to change something, and, and I think it is super important that we hold on to old designs, old ways, because we need to, we need to keep our reference points solid. And we build on them. Mm -hmm. And if we don't, and we don't adapt and evolve, then it's almost like saying as a culture, we have nothing new to add. Yeah. And, and, and we're going to live in some kind of a, a frozen time moment. Yeah. And what does that say for a life? You know, what does that say for anyone's life? And how, yeah. how, how exciting. I mean, it's like, it's, you, know, you take a music. I mean, Newfoundland music is another example. It's adapted. We have contemporary musicians yeah. and they make the, the work of the musicians before them more loved. Yes. And they make it endure. And we have to do that through everything we do. Yeah. Everything we do. We do. It's now, really I think important. a jig's dinner should always be a jig's dinner. I, I, you yes, know, but I agree. Build on some, you can build new things yeah. from it. It's yeah, not, yeah. Is. I don't really want any deal in my drawn butter, but you know. <laughs> no, exactly. Don't do that to me either. But I think yeah. there are other ways we can adapt that. I think more more nuanced ways to build on that idea of a boiled dinner. Let's yeah. say that's right. Yeah, I loved I loved the interview that I said I said that Bruce Mao did with you in in the book MC Twenty Four. Yes. I just wanted to. There's one thing that you really that really struck me. You said. Well, if you come back to human needs, I think we need beauty. I think it's just part of what we need to endure life because it has to be endured. 
and it's part of how we make meaning. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's just beautiful. Tell me about that. Tell me what that means. I mean, I think for every, what we have in common as human beings is, uh, and we are meaning making creatures. And, you know, I think everything is bound up with its opposites. And I think joy is a thing and pain is a thing and they're all a part of it. Yeah. And I think as we go forward in each of our individual and, and shared lives, how we, how we keep to the light side of it all uh, and how we navigate by the things that are going to take us to better places really uh, I think it relies on on beauty I mean not just the beauty that nature's given us but the things that we can create mm -hmm. and when you encounter something that is mediocre or, or or without thought or care I think it erodes well, erodes more than just a moment that you're in. It erodes our belief in our ability to, to evolve to better places. I mean, I think we, I don't think about humans as being, you know, kind of static we are the way we are. I mean, I think we, I think there's version 1.0, 2.0, 3.0. And I, and I like to think that we're evolving to be better in, to each other, better, better somehow. And now I know you can look at the planet now and look at the mess we've made of it and say, well, God, how, how much better have we gotten? We haven't. But, but I think we, we pick ourselves up and we carry on. I think, we're, I think we're in a deep awareness time now in this COVID time, especially uh, yes. to, think about, to think about these things and to not just think about them, to act on them. And, and the thing about design or beauty and art and the things we create, I, I think we, by creating, I think that's in some way, I always think it has somehow tied to the fact we know we're going to die. So let's create while we're here. Yeah. And, uh, and the, my life is buoyed and strengthened when I encounter an object, whatever that is, whether it's a, one of your rugs or, mm -hmm. or whether it's a building that I see somewhere and I'm struck, you know, in dead in my, in my footsteps because it's, a, a moment where you realize someone or some people dedicated energy and care and love to create something that expresses their understanding of the world and, and puts it forward in a way that is as perfect as they can make it. Yeah. And that makes you stand a little bit taller and that makes you feel like in your life, well, it, it, it matters. I mean, you know, in some way, this is the big question at, at, at the root of life. It either matters or doesn't, which means either everything matters or nothing matters. And I don't want to live in a world where nothing matters. Mm -hmm. So, and if you choose the path of it matters, then you're choosing the path of care. And that's why I love hospitality. It's like, it's such a beautiful thing if you think someone's going to come on vacation mm -hmm. and everyone has, I mean, the one currency we all have very little of, and it's going to run out of time. So when someone comes to stay at your inn, they're giving you their, their absolute most precious currency, which is their time. They are. Yeah. And imagine the challenge of just thinking about how do I make that as beautiful as possible? How do I make each one of those moments as joyful as I can for those guests? And that has to do with every single thing they touch. 
why would I put something in front of them that they're going to touch that's plastic or is put there without even without thought? So everything, I mean, this is very much a Todd Saunders thing, everything from that front, the handle on the front door to everything you encounter in that inn has been thought about by a whole, like by hundreds of people whether they were involved in making rugs, whether they were making furniture, whether they were figuring out the flow of how food service works. Yeah, how do we, how do we, I mean, like the life is hard enough. Let's make it as easy as we can for each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that really struck me, you know, that life, life needs to be endured. And we all feel that at some point, you know. Absolutely. We all do. Right. Unless you're on drugs all the time. Unless you know. you're on drugs all the time. And I don't think that's easy either. <laughs> no, that's probably not easy either. That's true. Right. So yeah. I, I think, you know, I agree with you. I love, you know what, what you're telling me is that it, every bit of the decision making involves love. It, it does. And if you're going to take on something in the world of hospitality, if it's not from a position of love and, and, and love of the other, you shouldn't mm -hmm. be doing it because you are probably going into it for a reason that isn't a good one. I mean, hospitality is our most basic human response to another person. Mm -hmm. And, and I think, I mean, I, you know, we're in this time where the whole travel industry is, is mm -hmm. brought to a stop. There's great concern about the loss of the businesses that are in it. Um, and no doubt uh, we will come out of this with a lot fewer businesses still standing. Yes, we will. Yeah. I surely hope the ones that are still standing are the ones that were built of love. Mm -hmm. I mean, we humans have digital minds, but we have analog hearts. Mm -hmm. Business models that are not built on our analog hearts are not the ones we want to endure. Yeah. Yeah. Analog hearts and digital minds. You're taking me all kinds of places. <laughs> well, I mean, here's a place to go, Dan. We can talk about art from that because yeah. I think in the absence of art, the absence of beauty, the, the absence of the, the tactile, the, the, the things that are created by humans, in the absence of that, we, our brains will drive the boat. And if you are appealing only to a human brain, mm -hmm. you are appealing to a pretty dispassionate uh, judge because our brains are just designed to measure risk, to weigh options. Yep. Not our, we don't love with our brains. Mm -hmm. uh, and our entire bodies have contained knowledge and, and, and instinct and response. And empathy doesn't live in our brain. Empathy lives, I don't actually know where it lives, but it lives somewhere, it lives in all of us. I know, yeah. And, and I think the thing about art and beauty is that it, it, it engages all of us, all of our our embodiedness and not just the, you know, the debit credit of our brains. Yeah. And, and I think that um, something happens like when, when you're in the presence of, of real beauty and something that's been created by another person and you are responding to it as not the maker, but the other somehow I think it, we're brought closer. Like somehow the viewer or the person who's experiencing this thing is is drawn to the person who made it, even if you don't know them personally. Yeah. Because you feel the the humanity of that other person. Yeah. And that that makes life a whole lot less lonely. Mm -hmm. Which is why I mean I think what we're all 
trying to get to is move away from this kind of reductive consumerism that we've all been caught up in and move to a deeper kind of materialism that i mean i my, my wish for every person would be that every object in your life is something that helps buoy you up and helps you make meaning connection and you make meaning we make meaning doesn't fall out of the universe we have to make it and we and I, I, the only two ways to make meaning that i know of is with nature and culture mm -hmm. and, and, and things that are made in some but in some process that ha doesn't have love in it where we have no idea where the money goes that comes out of it we have no idea of how many humans were hurt let alone how much environment was hurt in the making of it when those things arrive at your door they're not bringing goodness into your life they're not helping you yeah really really true we got to be thinking about this every time every time every purchase every time every choice we make mm -hmm. i don't i think about it a lot and now i'm looking and i'm thinking but i'm not thinking about it enough you know yeah yeah there's always a chance to go deeper that's the... always a chance to go deeper yeah zeta you're brilliant well i don't know about that but it's, i don't know uh... i don't i think i think to make what you made happen there's a brilliance there and and a soulfulness that uh, and a stubbornness maybe well that too probably right yeah you know like but yeah. you've had all those people before you who've endured you know fogo yes, you know that's, but, and right? that's the thing and i always feel like uh when when things are hard that their lives you were harder. like nothing that i'm going to go through i mean even in this pandemic <laughs> and it's hard they they went through worse okay. and uh, and they held on. So it's my job to do the same. Yeah. And All I have to think about is my next door neighbor's hands when she came back from the fish plant sometimes, how cold they were, you know? Or my uh, my Uncle Donald telling me, I got on the first boat that I could to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. That's what he said, you know? Like it was just, it was, and and that's that's what we know, you know? We know. And, and sadly, I just have, I just have, uh, you know, I feel, I sometimes feel, I guess one of, not to say that I haven't loved my life, but I wish my children were strong Newfoundlanders as well. Do you know what I mean? Like I wish, yeah, that, that there's a, there's, there's been a cutoff there for so many Newfoundlanders for so many generations. Too many. But I think, Deanne, I really think it's possible to reweave the fabric if it's been mm. broken. And it will be broken when people mm. lose their everyday connection with the physical place. Yeah. Because it's actually place that holds, helps us hold memories. It is. And, but I think that fabric can be rewoven as long as it's in your memory. You got to get it in theirs and into their yeah. experience. Yeah. And so they can make new experiences with place. I mean, look, look at me. I, I left home at 16 after mm -hmm. high school and I came back at, what was I, 45 or something. Yeah. Um, I never lost touch because you know, Newfoundland has that strong, strong draw. Yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't really matter where you go. It never leaves you. Mm -hmm. um, but it took me when I went back home time to, uh, 
to arrive in my own skin again. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, it was in me. It's in you. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know. I've no doubt. And I see things about it in my children and, and they were there lots as children and, and, and know the place, but, but there is something about um, growing up somewhere, you know, it is growing up somewhere. And the other thing is, I think you have to, you have to suffer for it. I mean, th somehow the things that are hard won mm -hmm. are the ones that uh, mean more somehow. Yeah. And yeah, and anything done in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador just by virtue of that, how, what a powerful place it is geographically, it, it's always hard won. Everything yeah. is hard. I have a couple of more questions for you. Were you, uh, I saw you once on a stage where you were interviewing Barack Obama. And that did happen. What's that? It that did, did happen. happen. Yeah. I just wondered, Sita, before you did that, were you intimidated at all? Uh, I was intimidated. Here was the hard part of that. I had a million questions for that man mm -hmm. that were of interest to me. And, but that wasn't why I was invited to interview him. I was invited to interview him to draw out things that were of interest to the people who were in the audience. Yes. And so I think that the intimidating part was to find that balance. Uh, and I wasn't intimidated by him as a man because, I mean, he just isn't an intimidating man. Mm -hmm. And that, and I say that with, I mean, that's the highest amount it is the highest of praise. Yeah. Is, up, is to say, yeah, he's not intimidating. He doesn't, he chooses not to be, he just isn't. Mm -hmm. uh, so be, being around him for that hour was kind of easy, but yeah. the, making the connection, I mean, and, and you have to put yourself in his place because he, he flew in on a plane. He really knew very little about Newfoundland. Uh, and so my job was, I mean, he had a briefing, but as his people who briefed me said, do not assume he has a deep knowledge of where you are. So yeah. don't embarrass yourself, your audience or him yeah. with, with, with something that's going to cause discomfort. Yeah. So, so being careful of that, but being able to impart to him enough information about our context that he could speak in a way that was to our context. That was the hardest part, actually. Is to yeah. it, and it's always hard. As how do you bring people together? You know, how do you right. do this? It's now, not he like made, you were having a private conversation. It was a exactly yeah. yeah yeah. And, and uh, but he's I mean he's obviously super smart and uh, aware kind of a guy. So he he made it easy really. And what what do you love? Mm, I love the wind probably most of all. And yeah, that, you know, when I was a kid, my dad used to say, you should never, I mean, the wind is ferocious at Anfogwani. My dad used to say, you should never be afraid of the wind. It's your friend. You just have to learn to work with it. And, and like, we have no control over the wind. I love that. It just does what it wants. Yeah. And, and it's the wind that makes the ocean do what it does. Uh, I mean, there are the tides, but still. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love the wind. Uh, yeah. And I, and I really do, I love knowledge and I, I, I think I get up every morning excited about what am I going to, what am I going to discover today? What am I going to, and, and I am a bit of a pattern seeker. So, you know, I was trying to make sense of, so why does that work that way? And, mm -hmm. and, and how do we, it was like, it was, Funny, I was reading, there was an article this weekend, uh, actually an opinion piece in the Globe and Mail by a novelist named Richard Ford. And yeah, he, he was 
It was a fantastic piece. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about what's going on from the eve of this election, you know, and, and he's an American writer. Mm -hmm. uh, he's written a novel called Canada. Right. And uh, he said, you know, at this time, it's like everybody is waiting to see what's going to happen next. Mm -hmm. And in a way, he didn't say it explicitly, but why are we not working on making the things happen next that we want to happen? And, and I think that, that that's always the thing to discover is what is it that I can make happen, should make happen, as opposed to am I just tilting at windmills? And I, I would say my, my own life, I'm always, because I have a strong will that's sometimes blind by, blinded by the will itself, is figuring out when is it, when is it time to act and when is it time to let life be what it wants, what is, what is trying to be? I mean, the Buddhists have a great way of saying it. I'm not a Buddhist person, but they say you have to follow the path that wants to emerge. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's that, it's that action. It's too hard otherwise. Yeah, it, it, it is. You can use an awful lot of energy. But on the other hand, you can't, you can't be passive. I'm like, no. I don't want to live a passive life. Well, you're and certainly I, not. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> no. Yeah. You're doing all right in that direction. What I love about about your work, I love many things about your work, Dan. But one of the things I love is I love the motion in it. Thank I always you. feel the wind in your work. That's good. That's why you like it. That's yeah. good. That's lovely. Thank you. Well, I'm glad it offers you a bit of sustenance. When you said that to me, that's one of the loveliest compliments I ever got. It yeah. does. It really yeah. does. Thank because you. Because it reminds me that you're there, you're there and you've got your own struggles that you're making sense of and putting beauty out in the world and so that encourages me to do the same i'll tell you something now this morning i went to get my lunch out of the out of the freezer and i knew there was a couple of pieces of lasagna there so i was getting one out of, out of there with it in a tub and uh, i picked it up and to take take for lunch and i said i better check it now to make sure um that that's what that is and when i opened it it was baked apples Oh my gosh. <laughs> my cousin Donnie brought me baked apples when he was home and, and I'm saving them for Christmas, you know. So oh it was just God. I was like, God, I'm glad I checked that or I'd be I'd be eating the, the you know, baked apples. But well, that happened too. because you and I were talking today. Uh, probably, yeah. Isn't it funny? The serendipity of the world. There's so much magic, girl. There's so much yeah. magic going on. Anyway, yes. I really love talking to you. I got one more quick question for you before I go, and this is mainly for me. What are you reading lately? What have you been reading? Um, I am reading an awful lot of economics books, uh, economic dignity I'm reading yeah. at the moment, uh, because in the, the course of our short fast work, we are moving toward how do we, how do we contribute to reshaping the economy so that communities are at the center. Right. And uh, I'm reading an awful lot of economics. Um, I, I have just finished uh, reading uh, Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead, the Polish writer fantastic I, this is her name will come in a minute that's okay drive your plow over the bones of the dead yes uh and flights to to tokarchuk is her last name tokarchuk okay. uh she won the nobel prize she that those were remarkable books that i finished just a little while ago okay great pretty steady diet oh i i'm also reading this book i can even hold it up for you look can you see that oh i love the illustrations yeah, so this is, um, is a, the, the most important mathematician you've never heard of. Yeah. Uh, and her name was um, Emmy Nowther. And she was a contemporary of Einstein. Everybody's okay. heard of Einstein. No one has heard of Emmy Never Nowther. heard of her, no. And 
what is really important about her work? And it actually, the reason I'm reading this, and I had to get the children's version because I tried to read about her work, you know, in the adult version, I couldn't understand it because I'm not a scientist. I got the children's book and it's helping. And so Einstein said she was one of the most brilliant people that ever lived because they were trying to solve a problem in the theory of relativity that related to energy in, in, in theory or in, or in reality can't go, it, it can't be lost. It has to exist somewhere, but it seemed like there was some kind of a hole that energy was escaping. They couldn't prove it mathematically. Okay. And she did. And so when asked like, how, how'd you figure this out? And she said, well, while everybody else was looking at the hole in the sock, I was trying to understand what makes a sock a sock. Mm. <laughs> and, so, and the point of that is, Mm -hmm. You know, we, we think about money, we think about economy, and everyone's got all these kind of ideas around uh, what money should do and how it works and all that. But we, we got to ask what makes a sock a sock. And so we got to start back and ask, why does money exist? And shouldn't it be serving human life? Mm -hmm. Shouldn't it be serving nature? Uh, and so then you very quickly come back to the idea and the notion of human community and say, okay, if we can't make the economic system serve human communities, then what's it for? Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'm trying, I, I, this is very inspirational for me because I kind of can draw parallels uh, from science to economics. Yeah. Now, is your brain generally though kind of, your, your brain sounds to me like it's kind of a mathematical brain. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good with numbers. You are. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But I love poetry. I that feeling. I write poetry, but I, I live for poetry. And, yeah. Uh, and you know, I think that uh, this poem, if you, and you probably know it because I quote it so often, that kind of frames our work is by a New Zealand poet. And it's about you, if you want to do something like we're trying to do on Fogo Island, you can't do it in a vacuum. Like Fogo Island has to belong to the world. And, and mm -hmm. that's another one of this rhythm of opposites. How do you belong to yeah. yourself and hold on to yourself and belong to the world? Uh, because, you know, we're not putting up walls or anything, or, you know, shutting off the ferry. Mm -hmm. And so the, this poem that captures it is by a New Zealand poet, and it is The Art of Walking Upright. You know this? Yeah, go ahead. Art of Walking Upright. This is just what the stanza, one of them. The Art of Walking Upright is the art of using both feet. One is for holding on, and one is for reaching out. You got to look at, as Emmy, as Emmy Nowther did, she said she looked at the problem from the outside in. And I think you have to do that. You have to look out from the outside in and you have to look from the inside out. And to be able to shift perspectives is really important. Mm -hmm. I could talk to you all day, but I got to go. So do you. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was lovely. I feel like I, like I kind of know you. You do. I do. Actually, yeah. Take care. Deanne, thanks for having me. All right, this is Deanne Fitzpatrick, and she was Zeta Cobb, and she's beautiful. Thank you. Bye. I got, I just got to stop the recording here.